the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WTBN is Verse by Verse. Sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. So believers and unbelievers have opposite natures, opposite leaders, opposite spiritual possessions. But that's not all. In verse 16, Paul asked the last question, which may be the most important question of all. In verse 16, he reveals that believers and unbelievers have opposite objects of worship. That's about as extreme as it gets, isn't it? 2 Corinthians 6, 16 says, What agreement has the temple of God with idols? There's nothing more opposite than that. As Christ followers, you and I have God himself living in us. And the Bible says that we are his temples. So how could we have anything to do with idols? As we'll hear today on Verse by Verse, we can't. It's good to have you here today as Pastor Steve Kreloff continues his third sermon in this series from 2 Corinthians 6 about spiritual separation. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Maybe you'd like to stop in some Sunday if you're in the area. I'll have more information at the end of today's broadcast. If you have your Bible, turn now to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Here comes Pastor Steve to show us from God's Word why it's so important to stay spiritually apart from unbelievers. So because obedience to the principle of not being bound with unbelievers has the potential to greatly impact your life, you'll really want to pay careful attention as we go through this. You want to know uh, why you should do what Paul tells us to do. Now, even if we didn't have any other reasons, we ought to simply obey because Scripture says says to obey. But you want to know what you're to do and exactly why you should do it. So let's begin, as we've been looking for the last uh, the last few times we've met, the reasons why believers should separate themselves from unbelievers. The first reason, first reason why we should separate ourselves from unbelievers in a religious sense is this, and we've already begun to look at this, but we'll take it deeper today. Believers and unbelievers are, number one, spiritually incompatible. Believers and unbelievers are spiritually incompatible. We're opposites. Paul, in verses 14 through 16, let me read it to you again, asks several questions. He first says, Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial, which is another name for Satan? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? In these verses, Paul asks five questions, and they each demand uh, the answer, nothing, nothing. It demands a negative response. Any thinking person would see this. But what he does is he compares believers in Christ with those who are unbelievers. He makes a comparison, and in his comparison, he reveals that when it comes to spiritual issues, we are complete opposites, complete opposites, and therefore we are spiritually incompatible. It isn't that we just don't agree with unbelievers. We are opposite in so many ways. The first way we're opposite is is this. He tells us by the first question, we have opposite natures. What partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? He's talking about the fact that 
that believers have been given a righteous, divine new nature. The moment of your salvation, you were, you were changed. You were changed on the inside. You may not have felt any different. You may not have even understood this, but God gave you a new nature. And that new nature produces now a desire for you to walk in the light of obedience to Scripture. That's, that's exactly why you have a desire to obey. Now, we struggle with our sin. As Janetta was singing before, it's exactly our experience. We do repent because we sin. But at the depths of our soul, there is a desire to do what's right. And by right, I mean walking in the light of the truth of Scripture. We desire that. It's Romans chapter 7. It's Paul saying, I sin, I don't want to, but uh, I, I understand that there is a, a law that is at work in me, in my members. I desire to do what's right. That's what's taken place in our lives. That's why we are told here what partnership have righteousness with lawlessness. We have a righteous desire because God has put his righteous character within us. And then he says, tells us about unbelievers. Unbelievers don't have that at all. They're characterized in this verse as lawless and they walk in darkness because unbelievers are dominated by their sinful nature. They may be wonderful people in terms of personality, they may, uh, you, you may like them personally. That's, that's not the issue here. They are dominated by sinful natures that compel them to disobey God and walk in darkness. So Paul's point is rather obvious. How can we possibly have spiritual fellowship with those who are lawless and walk in darkness? How could we get together on any spiritual or religious issue with those who are so opposed to righteousness? And the answer is we can't. You can't possibly do that. You can agree with them on on other issues. You might agree with them on politics, but you cannot agree with them on spiritual issues. Secondly, he says that believers and unbelievers, not only do we have, are we opposites in the sense that we have different natures, but we have different leaders. We have absolutely opposite leaders. He writes, or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Belial is just an old name for Satan. And And the obvious answer is nothing. Nothing. What does Jesus have in common with the devil? Nothing. Jesus is the one true God and Satan is his enemy. Satan is a fallen angel, a created angel who fell because of his pride. He wanted to be like God. Satan now hates Jesus. He's opposed to everything that Jesus stands for. He's opposed to God's plan. Everything that's holy and pure, he is the arch enemy. So Jesus and Satan aren't in agreement in anything, in anything. So how can we, as Christ's followers be in agreement with those who follow Satan. We can't. How can we form a spiritual alliance with those who follow our master's enemy? Just can't be done. Can't be done. Now, this morning, we want to pick up where we left off last time, and we want to see some more reasons why believers and unbelievers are spiritually incompatible. We have opposite natures. We have opposite leaders. Now, number three, we are completely opposite, Paul teaches, in our spiritual possessions. What we possess spiritually, unbelievers do not. Paul writes, or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Now, at first glance, and this is the end of verse 15, at first glance, you might think, why why is this here? Because really, there are lots of things we have in common with unbelievers as as Christians, aren't there? We we can have lots of of things in common. For example, as, uh, as humans, we both share the same basic human needs. We need food, clothing, and shelter. 
we both share the same types of struggles in life. We struggle with health issues, family concerns, financial matters, things, things of that nature. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you escape these problems. We both can have similar interests, sports, business, politics, hobbies, similar tastes in clothing, cars, foods, things, things of that nature. So when Paul writes, what do we have in common? If that's what he means here, our answer would be plenty of things, Paul but that's not what he means. That's really not what he's writing. The question that Paul asks is not about human issues and interests. The specific Greek word that's translated in common literally means a portion or a part of something. He doesn't mean in common in the sense of human interests. In other words, Paul is asking what spiritual possessions or spiritual entities do believers and unbelievers share in common? And the answer is absolutely nothing. What you and I as believers in Christ possess, unbelievers do not possess. They can't even comprehend that we possess this. What do we possess? Ephesians 1.3 says that uh, God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Whatever spiritual blessing you have, God has given it to you. What are some of those blessings? Well, Ephesians goes on to tell us, for example, we have forgiveness of all of our sins. That is an incredible, incredible blessing. That's what we possess absolute forgiveness from a holy God. We also possess redemption through Christ's blood. We have been purchased by Christ. We belong to Jesus Christ. We're not our own. We possess all the promises of God that come with our salvation, every single promise. We, we possess an inheritance in Christ. We possess, possess the mystery of God's will and understanding of that mystery, I should say. We possess all the promises of God that come with Christ and a relationship with him and so many, so many more things. But you know what? Unbelievers don't have any of that. What do unbelievers have? Let's look at uh, Ephesians chapter 4. This is the state of unbelievers. What what do they have? Spiritually, nothing. Paul writes in Ephesians 4, verse 17, So this I say, and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles, meaning pagan unbelievers now, also walk. How do they walk, Paul? In the futility of their minds. Their, their, Their thinking is futile. And he writes and clarifies this in verse 18, being darkened in their understanding. There's a darkness there. Why? Because they are excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the hardness of their heart. They are excluded from the life of God. All they have is a hardness of heart. They don't have understanding. They don't possess what we possess. All an unbeliever can possess is what uh, this life has to offer. All the things connected with this world, that's it. Nothing more. They belong to a different Lord, a different realm, and a different set of values. So how can we have spiritual fellowship with them? We, we can't. We who have so much in terms of what we possess in Christ cannot share with those who not only don't they have these things, but they can't even comprehend what we have. They, we don't have anything in common spiritually with them. And, and this is why, folks, this is why believers married to unbelievers usually have very superficial relationships with their spouse. How can it be anything different? The only things that they really have in common are of a physical or material nature, but it just doesn't get any deeper than that. It doesn't get any deeper than that. They're in two different realms. Believers are so rich in our spiritual relationship with Christ, and unbelievers are at a poverty level. They have nothing spiritually, nothing. 
They can't share the things that we have. They can't understand what we have. It's just so foreign to them. So believers and unbelievers have opposite natures, opposite leaders, opposite spiritual possessions. But that's not all. In verse 16, Paul asked the last question, which may be the most important question of all. In verse 16, he reveals that believers and unbelievers have opposite objects of worship. We worship two different gods. He writes in verse 16 at the beginning, or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? What a profound question. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? I want to explain something. In biblical times, God dwelt in the temple that once existed in Jerusalem. It does not exist now. There will be a rebuilt temple someday uh, on that very spot, many believe, uh, is now the Muslim uh, dome of the, of the rock. Some believe it's off to the side. Some believe it's right there. It's in that general vicinity. In biblical times, God dwelt there. But I want you to know God is omnipresent. God is not limited to a building. God is everywhere. He cannot be confined to one location. So what do we mean when we say that God dwelt in the temple? What we mean is that he dwelt in the, in the temple in the sense that his, he made his presence known there through visible manifestations of his glory. That's, that's what we mean. It was in that location where God visibly manifested his glory. But God is everywhere. God is everywhere. Now, since the temple was the dwelling place of God in Jerusalem, it was entirely free of any kind of graven image or idol. There could be no idols in the temple. No graven images there. The dwelling place of God, the sanctuary of God was pure, it was holy, and his presence demanded the absence of all idols. See, idolatry is the greatest insult to God. I don't know if you realize that, but it's the greatest insult. There, there is no greater insult to God than idolatry, and I'll tell you why. Because idolatry removes the absolute distinction between the creator and the creature. There must be that distinction, and idolatry removes it. Those who worship idols, whether it be in the form of, of man-made objects of wood or stone, or perhaps today's idols, the gods of money and sex and, and power and self or anything in the pursuit of personal happiness, all of that, those who pursue idols have rejected and forsaken the one true God. All idols and false religion have their origin in the rejection of the true and living God. And, I, and I'd like you to see this. This is very important. Romans chapter 1. There are some who think that man is just so religious, that, that all roads lead to God, and why should we say Christianity is the only way when there are so many religions in the world? I want you to see the origin, the source of religion. The source of religion is revealed to us in Romans chapter 1. In Romans 1, the Apostle Paul puts the pagan world on trial and reveals that the pagan world, though they had the light that came from creation, they knew that God existed, yet they purposefully and willfully turned, out, uh, turned away from the truth. And that's very important that you understand that because there are some today who say, well, what about the person who's never heard of Christ? Wouldn't, uh, wouldn't, wouldn't they be okay? No, they're not okay. They're not okay because they do know about God. They've been given the evidence to know about God. They've been given the light of creation. And if they turn off the light there, they will not be interested in, in, in pursuing anything about knowing Christ. They, to reject any light 
is to reject all the light. To accept any light that God reveals would mean that God would reveal more and more, perhaps in the form of a missionary who would share the gospel with you or, or get a Bible to somebody. So it's important. What do we do with the truth? Notice verse 18. Paul says, concerning the ancient, ancient man, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. He talks now, and this is probably he's referring to Genesis man. Uh, maybe he's in his mind, he's thinking about the, the time of the, the Tower of Babel. But let's just keep Genesis man in mind. He says that Genesis man suppressed the truth. Genesis man had the truth and suppressed it, which means to hold it down, to, to press it down, to not let it get up and, and have its uh, effect on us. And then he explains, because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. He said that they can know about God. It isn't that they don't have any witness about God. They may not have known specifically about Jesus Christ, but they could and did know about God. God made it evident to them. How? What was the evidence? Verse 20, it's creation. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. Pagan man as well as modern man may not know specifically the gospel of Christ, but they know about God's power through nature. They know about orderliness through nature. They know about creation to some degree through nature. But when they suppress that truth, they were without excuse. They can't appear before God and say, well, we didn't know. We, how could we possibly know? They didn't know because they chose not to know. And then Paul gives us more understanding in this, verse 21. He says, here's the situation. For even though they knew God, which by that he means not that they knew God in the sense of a relationship with them, but they knew about him. They had knowledge about the true God. They did not honor him as God. They didn't honor him. Nor, he said, did they give thanks. What he's talking about, they didn't care about God. They, they did their own thing. They didn't want God interfering in their lives. So they paid no attention to him. But... They became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. When they turned away from the light, all they had was darkness. When they turned away from true worship, they became philosophers. They became, they got involved in speculative knowledge, stuff that they just invented. And Paul says their foolish heart was darkened. When they turned away from the light, God turned the light off. And here's the result. Verse 22, professing to be wise, they became fools. They thought they were so wise, so sophisticated. And today, uh, there are many who are just like that, who have PhDs and have all kinds of academic credentials, but they believe that we came from monkeys. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And the final result is this, and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God, that God we, we have been singing to, immortal, invisible, that God, they exchanged the glory of him, the incorruptible God, for, watch this, an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and crawling creatures. They became idolaters. They thought they're wise, but they're bowing down to objects that they've made. That's ancient man. That's modern man. Now, I want you to know from this, the reason there are so many religions in the world is not because all roads lead to God, but in rejecting the one true God, man has, has replaced 
replaced the true God with man-made religion. He, he innately desires to worship something. He will worship something, whether it be a stone object or, or whether it will be himself. But he will worship something. And the reason people are involved in false religion is because they've rejected the true revealed religion. That, that's why. It's not because people uh, are, are involved in the truth. It's because they've run from the truth. That's why. This is where religion started. And this is why God so strongly prohibited idol worship in the Old Testament because he tells us in the Ten Commandments he is a jealous God, righteously, perfectly jealous. He'll not compete with any rivals. That's what idolatry is. All idolatry, he says, is an abomination to him. God hates it. But on top of all of this, bad enough as it is, the Bible reveals that behind every idol lurks a demon. Behind every idol lurks a demon who impersonates that idol, and this was the crux of the Corinthians' problem. Let's look back at 1 Corinthians chapter 8. I want you to see what, what Paul is really getting at and how this applies to us. It really does apply to us, and this is uh, you're going to hear some strong language from this because this is vital that we understand. Uh, we understand this truth. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, notice Paul says in beginning of verse 4, he says, therefore, concerning the eating of things sacrificed to idols, we know that there is no such thing as an idol in the world and that there is no God but one. Now, Paul is dealing with the situation in Corinth in which food had been sacrificed to an idol, but it was left over and now it was sold in the marketplace. And there were some Christians who said, you know what, I, I, I can't eat it. I just can't eat it. It was one sacrifice to an idol. I can't do it. And Paul is simply saying here, we know that there's really no such thing as an idol. We know that we know this. And I, I think this uh, came came home to Michelle and me years ago when we were in India. The last day we were in India, uh, we were taken to a Hindu temple. We didn't we didn't go inside the temple, but we were on the outer outskirts of it, on the grounds of it. And I have to say, I, I have never been as oppressed as I was there. It was the closest I, I have ever felt to hell in my life. Not only were there, and this is no exaggeration, hundreds of thousands of flies going around, but there were people worshiping their gods. There, uh, there was a, a holy man off to the side who uh, looked anything but holy, filthy. And, and uh, the missionary with us said, if you go in that tent over there, you'll go berserk. And it, 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 was, it was hideous. And then I saw as we were coming out food that had been offered to these pagan gods, uh, the, the god of, uh, well, Calcutta is named after the god of Kali, and that's what this temple was. And I realized for the first time, you know what, maybe if I was in Corinth, I couldn't eat food that had been sacrificed to idols. Even knowing what I know, that an idol is nothing, maybe I'm not the stronger brother in that situation. It was an eye-opener. So, so I, it's vivid in my mind looking at, at that food and thinking, I'm not sure knowing what I know about Hinduism and that uh, uh, baby sacrifices still take place and sexual perversions still go on. Hinduism is the closest, someone said, to what, we, uh, what you had in the Old Testament, the wicked religion of the Canaanites. So knowing what I know about it, I'm not sure I could eat food sacrifice to these idols. And that's what Paul is dealing with. He said, we know that there's no such thing really as an idol in the world and there, there is no God but one. We, we understand that mentally. Isaiah 44 describes the foolishness of taking a block of wood and using half of it for a cooking fire 
and then carving the other half into an image and worshiping it. God's the one to worship, and there's no way to worship other so-called gods and the Lord at the same time. We have to come out from among the idols, whether they are physical or emotional. Pastor Steve Kreloff will continue that line of thought on our next Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. If you'd like to visit Lakeside, the address is 1893 Sunset Point Road, and the phone number is 727-441-1714. For a map and more information, go online to lakesidechapel.com. Let me remind you about our website, versebyverseradio.org. We have giving information on the website, and we also have hundreds of previous broadcasts that we would be glad to share with you at no cost. We are grateful for the many people, though, who help us pay for airtime and production expenses. Find out more on the giving page at versebyverseradio.org or call Lakeside at 727-441-1714. This is Jerry Peterson. When we think of idol worship, we usually imagine primitive people bowing before carvings. But idol worship is every bit as common in the 21st century as it was in the 1st century, whether it is on a shelf or in the self. An idol is an idol, and they are all demonically inspired. Next time on Verse by Verse, Pastor Steve will have more help for us as we seek to identify and remove idols from our midst. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's versebyverseradio.org. We are here to give you strength between... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.